Chapter 5 of The Double, a Petersburg poem by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 It was striking midnight from all the clock towers in Petersburg when Mr. Goyadkin, beside himself, ran out onto the Fontanka Quay, close to the Ismailovsky Bridge, fleeing from his foes, from persecution, from a hailstorm of nips and pinches aimed at him, from the shrieks of excited old ladies, from the o's and ah's of women, and from the murderous eyes of Andrei Filopovitch. Mr. Goyadkin was killed, killed entirely, in the full sense of the word, and if he still preserved the power of running, it was simply through some sort of miracle, a miracle in which, at last, he refused himself to believe. It was an awful November night, wet, foggy, rainy, snowy, teeming with colds in the head, fevers, swollen faces, quinces, inflammations of all kinds and descriptions, teeming, in fact, with all the gifts of a Petersburg November. The wind howled in the deserted streets, lifting up the black water of the canal above the rings on the bank, and irritably brushing against the lean lampposts, which chimed in with its howling in a thin, shrill creak, keeping up the endless squeaky jangling concert with which every inhabitant of petersburg is so familiar snow and rain were falling both at once lashed by the wind the streams of rainwater spurted almost horizontally as though from a fireman's hose pricking and stinging the face of the luckless mr goyadkin like a thousand pins and needles in the stillness of the night broken only by the distant rumbling of carriages the howl of the wind and the creaking of the lamp-posts there was the dismal sound of the splash and gurgle of water rushing from every roof every porch every pipe and every cornice on to the granite of the pavement there was not a soul near or far indeed it seemed there could not be at such an hour and in such weather and so only mr golyatkin alone with his despair was fleeing in terror along the pavement of fontanka with his usual rapid little step in haste to get home as soon as possible to his flat on the fourth story in chestilovokny street though the snow the rain and all the nameless horrors of a raging snowstorm and fog under a petersburg november sky were attacking mr golyatkin already shattered by misfortunes were showing him no mercy, giving him no rest, drenching him to the bone, gluing up his eyelids, blowing right through him from all sides, baffling and perplexing him, though all this was hurled upon Mr. Golyadkin at once, as though conspiring and combining with all his enemies to make a grand day, evening, and night for him. In spite of all this, Mr. Golyadkin was almost insensible to this final proof of the persecution of destiny, so violent had been the shock and the impression made upon him a few minutes before at the civil councillor Berendiev's. If any disinterested spectator could have glanced casually at Mr. Golyadkin's painful progress, he would instantly have grasped the awful horror of his pitiful plight, and would certainly have said that Mr. Golyadkin looked as though he wanted to hide from himself, as though he were trying to run away from himself. Yes, it was really so. One may say more, Mr. Goyadkin did not want only to run away from himself, but to be obliterated, and to cease to be, to return to dust. At the moment he took in nothing surrounding him, understood nothing of what was going on about him, and looked as though the miseries of the stormy night, of the long tramp, the rain, the snow, the wind, all the cruelty of the weather, did not exist for him. The galosh slipping off the boot on Mr. Goyadkin's right foot was left behind in the snow and slush on the pavement of Fontanka, 
and Mr. Goyadkin did not think of turning back to get it, did not in fact notice that he had lost it. He was so perplexed that, in spite of everything surrounding him, he stood several times stock still in the middle of the pavement, completely possessed by the thought of his recent horrible humiliation. At that instant he was dying, disappearing. Then he suddenly set off again like mad, and ran and ran without looking back, as though he were pursued, as though he were fleeing from some still more awful calamity. The position was truly awful. At last Mr. Goliadkin halted in exhaustion, leaned on the railing in the attitude of a man whose nose had suddenly begun to bleed, and began looking intently at the black and troubled waters of the canal. There is no knowing what length of time he spent like this. All that is known is that at that instant Mr. Goyadkin reached such a pitch of despair, and was so harassed, so tortured, so exhausted, and so weakened in what feeble faculties were left him that he forgot everything, forgot the Izmailovsky Bridge, forgot Shastilovokny Street, forgot his present plight. After all, what did it matter to him? The thing was done, the decision was affirmed and ratified. What could he do? All at once... All at once he started and involuntarily skipped a couple of paces aside. With unaccountable uneasiness, he began gazing about him. But no one was there. Nothing special had happened, and yet... And yet he fancied that just now, that very minute, someone was standing near him, beside him, also leaning on the rail, and, marvelous to relate, had even said something to him, said something quickly, abruptly, not quite intelligibly, but something quite private, something concerning himself. Why, was it my fancy? said Mr. Goliadkin, looking around once more. But where am I standing? Ech, ech, he thought finally, shaking his head, though he began gazing with an uneasy, miserable feeling into the damp, murky distance, straining his sight and doing his utmost to pierce with his short-sighted eyes the wet darkness that stretched all round him. There was nothing new, however, nothing special caught the eye of Mr. Goliadkin. Everything seemed to be all right, as it should be. That is, the snow was falling more violently, more thickly, and in larger flakes. Nothing could be seen twenty paces away. The lampposts creaked more shrilly than ever, and the wind seemed to intone its melancholy song even more tearfully, more piteously, like an importunate beggar whining for a copper to get a crust of bread. At the same time, a new sensation took possession of Mr. Goyadkin's whole being, agony upon agony, terror upon terror. A feverish tremor ran through his veins. The moment was insufferably unpleasant. Well, it's no matter, he said, to encourage himself. Well, no matter. Perhaps it's no matter at all, and there's no stain on anyone's honor. Perhaps it's as it should be, he went on, without understanding what he was saying. Perhaps it will all be for the best in the end, and there will be nothing to complain of and everyone will be justified. Talking like this and comforting himself with words, Mr. Goliadkin shook himself a little, shook off the snow which had drifted in thick layers on his hat, his collar, his overcoat, his tie, his boots, and everything. But his strange feeling, his strange, obscure misery, he could not get rid of, could not shake off. Somewhere in the distance there was a boom of a cannon shot. Ah, what weather, thought our hero. Chew. Isn't there going to be a flood? It seems as though the water has risen so violently. Mr. Goyadkin had hardly said or thought this when he saw a person coming towards him, belated, no doubt, like him, through some accident. An unimportant, casual incident, one might suppose. But for some unknown reason, Mr. Goyadkin was troubled, even scared, and rather flurried. 
It was not that he was exactly afraid of some ill-intentioned man, but just that perhaps, after all, who knows, this belated individual flashed through Mr. Volyadkin's mind. Maybe he's that very thing, maybe he's the very principal thing in it, and isn't here for nothing but is here with an object, crossing my path and provoking me. Possibly, however, he did not think this precisely, but only had a passing feeling of something like it, and very unpleasant. There is no time, however, for thinking and feeling. The stranger was already within two paces. Mr. Goyadkin, as he invariably did, hastened to assume a quite peculiar air, an air that expressed clearly that he, Goyadkin, kept himself to himself, that he was all right, that the road was wide enough for all, and that he, Goyadkin, was not interfering with anyone. Suddenly, he stopped short as though petrified, as though struck by lightning, and quickly turned round after the figure which had only just passed him, turned as though someone had given him a tug from behind, as though the wind had turned him like a weathercock. The passer-by vanished quickly in the snowstorm. He, too, walked quickly. He was dressed like Mr. Volyadkin, and, like him, too, wrapped up from head to foot, and he, too, tripped and trotted along the pavement of Fontanka with rapid little steps that suggested that he was a little scared. "'What? What is it?' whispered Mr. Goyadkin, smiling mistrustfully, though he trembled all over. An icy shiver ran down his back. Meanwhile, the stranger had vanished completely. There was no sound of his step, while Mr. Goyadkin still stood and gazed after him. At last, however, he gradually came to himself. "'Why, what's the meaning of it?' he thought with vexation. "'Why have I really gone out of my mind, or what?' He turned and went on his way, making his footsteps more rapid and frequent, and doing his best not to think of anything at all. He even closed his eyes at last with the same object. Suddenly, through the howling of the wind and the uproar of the storm, the sound of steps very close at hand reached his ears again. He started and opened his eyes. Again, a rapidly approaching figure stood out black before him, some twenty paces away. This little figure was hastening, tripping along, hurrying nervously. The distance between them grew rapidly less. Mr. Goliadkin could by now get a full view of this second belated companion. He looked full at him and cried out with amazement and horror. His legs gave way under him. It was the same individual who had passed him ten minutes before, and who now quite unexpectedly turned up facing him again. But this was not the only marvel that struck Mr. Goliadkin. He was so amazed that he stood still, cried out, tried to say something— and rushed to overtake the stranger, even shouted something to him, probably anxious to stop him as quickly as possible. The stranger did, in fact, stop ten paces from Mr. Goyadkin, so that the light from the lamp-post that stood near fell full upon his whole figure, stood still, turned to Mr. Goyadkin, and with impatient and anxious face waited to hear what he would say. "'Excuse me, possibly I'm mistaken,' our hero brought out in a quavering voice. The stranger, in silence and with an air of annoyance, turned and rapidly went on his way, as though in haste to make up for the two seconds he had wasted on Mr. Goliadkin. As for the latter, he was quivering in every nerve. His knees shook and gave way under him, and with a moan he squatted on a stone at the edge of the pavement. There really was reason, however, for his being so overwhelmed. The fact is that this stranger seemed to him now somehow familiar. That would have been nothing, though, but he recognized, almost certainly recognized, this man. He had often seen him, that man. He had seen him some time, and very lately. Where could it have been? Surely not yesterday. But again, that was not the chief thing that Mr. Goliadkin had often seen him before. 
there was hardly anything special about the man. The man at first sight would not have aroused any special attention. He was just a man like anyone else, a gentleman like all other gentlemen, of course, and perhaps he had some good qualities and very valuable ones, too. In fact, he was a man who was quite himself. Mr. Golyadkin cherished no sort of hate or enmity, not even the slightest hostility towards this man, quite the contrary, it would seem, indeed. And yet, and this was the real point, he would not for any treasure on earth have been willing to meet that man, and especially to meet him as he had done now, for instance. We may say more. Mr. Golyadkin knew that man perfectly well. He even knew what he was called, what his name was, and yet nothing would have induced him, and again, for no treasure on earth, would he have consented to name him, to consent to acknowledge that he was called so-and-so, that his father's name was this and his surname was that. Whether Mr. Golyadkin's stupefaction lasted a short time or a long time, whether he was sitting for a long time on the stone of the pavement, I cannot say. But, recovering himself at last a little, he suddenly fell to running, without looking round, as fast as his legs could carry him. His mind was preoccupied. Twice he stumbled and almost fell. And through this circumstance his other boot was also bereaved of its goulash. At last Mr. Golyadkin slackened his pace to get a little breath looked hurriedly round, and saw that he had already, without being aware of it, run right across Fontanka, had crossed the Antichov Bridge, had passed part of the Nevsky Prospect, and was now standing at the turning into Latenyi Street. Mr. Golyadkin turned into Latenyi Street. His position at that instant was like that of a man standing at the edge of a fearful precipice, while the earth is bursting open under him is already shaking, moving, rocking, for the last time, falling, drawing him into the abyss. And yet the luckless wretch has not the strength, nor the resolution, to leap back, to avert his eyes from the yawning gulf below. The abyss draws him, and at last he leaps into it of himself, himself hastening the moment of his destruction. Mr. Goyadkin knew, felt, and was firmly convinced that some other evil would certainly befall him on the way that some unpleasantness would overtake him, that he would, for instance, meet his stranger once more. But, strange to say, he positively desired this meeting, considered it inevitable, and all he asked was that it might be all quickly over, that he should be relieved from his position, in one way or another, but as soon as possible. And meanwhile he ran on and on, as though moved by some external force, for he felt a weakness and numbness in his whole being, he could not think of anything, though his thoughts caught at everything like brambles. A little lost dog, soaked and shivering, attached itself to Mr. Goyadkin, and ran beside him, scurrying along with his tail and ears drooping, looking at him from time to time, with timid comprehension. Some remote, long-forgotten idea, some memory of something that had happened long ago, came back into his mind now, kept knocking at his brain as with a hammer, vexing him and refusing to be shaken off. Ech, that horrid little cur, whispered Mr. Goliadkin, not understanding himself. At last he saw his stranger at the turning into Italiansky Street. But this time the stranger was not coming to meet him, but was going in the same direction as he was. And he too was running, a few steps in front. At last they turned into Shestilovokny Street. Mr. Goliadkin caught his breath. The stranger stopped exactly before the house in which Mr. Goyadkin lodged. He heard a ring at the bell, and almost at the same time the grating of the iron bolt. The gate opened, the stranger stooped, darted in, and disappeared. 
Almost at the same instant, Mr. Golyadkin reached the spot and, like an arrow, flew in at the gate. Heedless of the grumbling porter, he ran, gasping for breath, into the yard, and immediately he saw his interesting companion, whom he had lost sight of for a moment. The stranger darted towards the staircase, which led to Mr. Golyadkin's flat. Mr. Golyadkin rushed after him. The stairs were dark, damp, and dirty. At every turning there was heaped up masses of refuse from the flats, so that any unaccustomed stranger who found himself on the stairs in the dark was forced to travel to and fro for half an hour in danger of breaking his legs, cursing the stairs as well as the friends who lived in such an inconvenient place. But Mr. Golyadkin's companion seemed as though familiar with it, as though at home. He ran up lightly, without difficulty, showing a perfect knowledge of his surroundings. Mr. Golyadkin had almost caught him up, in fact, once or twice, the stranger's coat flicked him on the nose. His heart stood still. The stranger stopped before the door of Mr. Golyadkin's flat, knocked on it, and, which would, however, have surprised Mr. Golyadkin at any other time, Petrushka, as though he had been sitting up in expectation, opened the door at once, and, with a candle in his hand, followed the stranger as the latter went in. The hero of our story dashed into his lodging beside himself and without taking off his hat or coat he crossed the little passage and stood still in the doorway of his room, as though thunderstruck. All his presentiments had come true. All that he had dreaded and surmised was coming to pass in reality. His breath failed him, his head was in a whirl. The stranger, also in his coat and hat, was sitting before him on his bed, and with a faint smile screwing up his eyes nodded to him in a friendly way. Mr. Golyadkin wanted to scream but could not, to protest in some way, but his strength failed him. His hair stood on end, and he almost fell down with horror. And indeed, there was good reason. He recognized his nocturnal visitor. The nocturnal visitor was no other than himself, Mr. Golyadkin himself, another Mr. Golyadkin, but absolutely the same as himself. In fact, what is called a double in every respect. End of chapter 5